Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, we celebrate Easter. Senior Pastor Heath Bauer delivers a powerful and compelling message on the resurrection of Jesus. Did Jesus really raise himself from the dead? Were there eyewitnesses to this account? What really happened? All of these questions get answered. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. More information on how you can connect with us here at Unity will follow today's talk. Here's Heath with today's message. Come and see. celebrate Easter. Easter gets its name uh, from German roots, where a lot of our holiday traditions and things come from. And it comes from the word Eastrum, which means dawn. It refers to, it comes from the fact that the sun rises in the east, and it reminds us of the women who went at dawn to the tomb of Christ. However, for many people, Easter is just a a fun little holiday, something cute you do with the kids. You get them all dressed up, you take pictures, you give them Easter baskets about a bunny that lays eggs somehow. Not sure physiologically where we arrived at that conclusion. Uh, Once again, it goes back to the Germans, would you believe? The Easter bunny, or the Osterhase, the Easter hare, uh, is part of that tradition that came over from Germany. Originally, it started out with, in the 1500s with the Protestant Germans who simply started with an egg. There was no bunny. It was just the eggs, and the egg was seen as a symbol of life, that the egg looks dormant, it looks dead, but eventually life will emerge from that. And it was said to remind them of the empty tomb that looked dead. It looked like Christ was defeated. And yet he rose from that tomb. And so the, Easter rep- the egg represented that to those early Protestants. And they would go and hide the eggs for the children as a reminder that at dawn, the women went to the tomb, to the body of Jesus. And it, all that was just a reminder of the biblical stories. The, the Easter hare, not so much. That was just a, a pagan tradition. They were celebrating at the time of the year when the animals get friendly. And the friendliest of all animals, of course, is the Easter bunny, uh, who, you know, they reproduce rapidly. And so it was just a part of pagan fertility rites. And somehow we put the Easter hare together with the Christian tradition of searching for eggs on Easter morning. You bring it to America we monetize it, and pretty soon we have the Cadbury egg. So it's not a complete loss. But that's Easter for a lot of people. You know, what is Easter really meant to be? Is it just a a bunny that lays these clutches of, of brightly colored eggs? Is it just a fun little tradition for children? Well, Matthew 28, if you want to turn there, it's the first book in your New Testament, So if you look at your Bible, you see the clean section where you've never opened to, okay? Open a little bit further to the right there and you'll find the book of Matthew. And the very end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, is where we find ourselves today. Jesus' life, if you read through the rest of the Gospels, and I encourage you to do so, read through, if you've never done it, read through the Gospel of Matthew or read through the Gospel of John. And you'll read the story about Jesus who was born who existed from eternity past, but was born in the form of a child who grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man, like the rest of us. But then he went on to live a perfect life, a sinless life. And then Jesus went on to demonstrate that he's no mere man. He's not just the the son of Mary, that he is God. And so he demonstrated through many proofs, through the fact that he raised people from the dead, that he healed people. He had the power over demons. He had the power over the wind and the waves. 
And that's who this Jesus is. In fact, he is such a loving God. He didn't just come here to be a good example for us. He came to die as our substitute. And when Jesus, Jesus died, it, leading up to that death, he was praying in the garden. You know how the soldiers came to arrest him? And the Bible wants to remind us that Jesus willingly went with them. When they said, are you the Christ? He said, I am. And they all fell down. Jesus had power over them. One theologian said a small girl could have led Jesus to his trials. And so Jesus willingly went there. And in his trials, the Bible says Jesus didn't open his mouth. Why not? Because never let it be said that Jesus was crucified because he couldn't defend himself well enough. And so he just had his mouth shut because he was going there as a willing lamb to die in our place. And he suffered, he was beaten, flogged, most of which didn't survive the flogging. And then he went and he died on the cross, he was crucified for you and I personally. Not just generally, just for the whole world, he died for you and I. And then he, and then he went and he was buried in a rich man's tomb, which is not something you normally do with somebody who's received capital punishment, but nonetheless, to fulfill scripture, this took place. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. What's going to happen after Jesus gets put in the tomb? Matthew chapter 28, I'd like to give you four evidences as to why you personally today in 2023 should believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first proof comes from Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, and that's the lives of the apostles themselves attest to the resurrection. Verse 1, it says, now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, this is just the Mary of James and Joseph, went to see the tomb. Now, why are these ladies going to the tomb? Is it just because they're excited to see the risen Jesus? Can I disappoint you there? They're not going to see a risen Jesus. They're going there to see a dead Jesus and to take care of his body. How do we know that? Luke chapter 24 reveals that they were going there with spices in hand. It's not that Jesus liked to eat spices. It's that they were going to prepare his body for burial. And the reason they're doing it today and not before is because previously we just read it was the Sabbath. And Jews don't work on the Sabbath. So they're going there to take care of what they believe they're going to find is a dead body of Jesus to prepare it for his burial. Now we jump down to verse 5 as we're continuing on with the story of these ladies and the disciples. In verse 5, the women, they go to the tomb, and they see the angel. They see that the tomb is empty. In verse 5, the angel speaks to them. It says to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you come to see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he says these words, come see. He invites them to come look and to see for themselves the place where Jesus lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and joy and ran to tell the disciples. Now, Jesus has already revealed to his disciples that he was going to come back from the dead after being crucified. He even said, when as far as just compare his life to the story of Jonah and the great fish, where Jonah went into this fish and emerged alive several days later. And Jesus says, much as Jonah did this, I will be doing this. You're going to see me again. Now, how many of you think that having heard, seen Jesus' power, hearing that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, that as soon as these women tell these guys Jesus rose from the dead, that they're going to spring to their feet and run to the tomb? They don't. In fact, Luke chapter 24, verses 10 through 11 says that the women told these things to the apostles, but 
the words seemed to them as an idle tale. Seemed like a story, a fable, fairy tale. It says, and they did not believe them. These are Jesus' own people. These are the guys that Jesus personally discipled that watched Jesus do all manner of different miracles. They wouldn't believe the story that Jesus would rise again on the third day, even though an eyewitness told them about it. They would not believe. And so I want you to hear this. The first skeptics of the resurrection were Jesus' own people. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're wondering, I don't know, I hear this life about Jesus being God, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day. I've heard that before, but to me, it still just feels like an idle fairy tale. If that's where you are today, you're in good company. Jesus' own men were there. What changed? What changed is they investigated the facts. And that's what the angel invites us to do today. Isn't that his message? Come and see. Investigate the facts. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most well-established facts of history. And the Bible has nothing to fear here. Come and see. Much like Lee Strobel did, writer for the Chicago, uh, was it Chicago Tribune? One of the Chicago papers. Many years ago, his wife becomes a believer and he is an avowed atheist. And he wanted to go and prove for certain just put the nails in the coffin of this whole Jesus debate forever. And so he went to investigate the life of Paul and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went and he saw, and do you know what he discovered? That there's far too much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ for him not to believe, and Lee Strobel himself became a believer. And the Bible invites us to do the same thing. Right now you're hearing this story, but the, it hasn't penetrated your heart yet that this is not just an idle tale but this is a well-established fact of history and the angel invites us to come and to see. Now, I want you to think about the apostles. How did they go here from skeptic to giving their life for Jesus? They went and saw for themselves. Initially, it was only two of the guys, remember? Peter and John. A little trivia question, who's faster, Peter or John, in a foot race? The Bible tells us John. John beat him to the tomb. Okay, so you got these two guys, and they, the only two of the 12 actually go out to investigate. In, in fact, even after the apostles investigated and found that Jesus had risen from the dead, you still had one of them, Thomas, who's like, yeah, I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in his hands inside, until I scientifically prove to myself that Jesus rose from the dead. So these guys were skeptics. Why then do we read about these apostles who left their careers in their prime, who left the comforts of home, they left their families, they left everything, and they went, and many of them died a horrific death. All but one of them died a horrific death. And the last one, don't, don't feel too good about him, he was exiled. But they all died horrible deaths. They were crucified. They were pinned to the ground with spears. They were cut in half. Why would men allow themselves to lose everything and be brutally murdered for the sake of a lie? The truth is they wouldn't be, and neither would you, and neither would I. We wouldn't die for a lie, would we? And neither did these disciples. The, the lives of the apostles themselves attest to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But number two, I want you to see that the empty tomb attests to the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse two. Let's go back up there, and let's pick up the empty tomb. It says, behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. He was a very holy being. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So here we have, we have the tomb door. It's rolled away by the angels, by the angel, and he sat on it. Now the Bible doesn't specifically say what he's doing by sitting on it, but sitting on it would give the impression that he's the one that's in authority. Remember when Jesus was put in the tomb, they sealed it. Okay, it means they'd put a piece of rope in there, they'd put wax around it, and the insignia of, this, of, the, of Roman Empire itself would be put into that seal. So if anybody broke it, you would die. Nobody dared to open this tomb. Not only did the angel roll away the stone, but he sat on it. It's like he goes over to him and says, <clears throat> excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. Okay, he's an authority. You think you're an authority, Rome. All of, like Jesus told Pilate, you have no authority except what God has already given you. It all comes from God. There's a far greater authority, and you're not going to hide the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead just because you say so. I want you to understand, too, that in rolling away the stone, the angel was not just letting Jesus out. You hear that sometimes. Well, the angel had to roll away the stone so Jesus could get out. Don't get the impression that Jesus is on the inside of the tomb going, hey, somebody let me out of here. Okay, Jesus, remember, later on, we'll see him pass through walls. He's gonna pass through doors. Jesus doesn't need the stone. It's not a hindrance to him. But if the angel had not rolled away the stone, what would everybody be thinking in the back of their minds? Did he really rise from the dead, though? And so the reason the angel rolls away the stone is not so Jesus can get out, but so that men could get in, so that people could see that Jesus had indeed risen. Come and see. However, there's still an idea floating around in many skeptics' brains. It's something called the swoon theory. Well, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus didn't actually die, and he was buried, and he just rolled away the stone, you know, and he, he got out himself, that Jesus was never actually dead. There's a lot of flaws in that theory, by the way, not the least of which is the fact that Jesus was crucified, and prior to his crucifixion, understand that most people died in the flogging. They used the cat of nine tails. Imagine a whip with multiple strands of leather, and at the ends of those were little metal balls that would bruise, so when you struck them, it would bruise, but there were also like little bits of bone and metal embedded in these leather things, and so when the whip itself would, it would wrap itself around your body like a tiger's claw, and on the backswing, it would rip off entire chunks of flesh. Most people did not survive this. Bible says Jesus was beaten so badly, you couldn't recognize him as a human. Jesus did that for you. And then Jesus, after this beating, carried part of his own cross and was crucified up there for hours and hours, bleeding out. He eventually dies. But before he, but you know, you know, right after his death, though, it says that the Roman soldiers, remember, they're professional executioners. And so they take a spear in John 19, verse 34 says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now, I'm no doctor, but those who are have analyzed this particular situation, and they said this, hypovolemic shock causes fluid to gather around the sac surrounding the heart. And that's called pericardial effusion. And so when the, the water surrounds the sack of the heart because of the immense abuse that Jesus had received, that's why when the spear was thrust into his side, it reveals that not only was he dead already, but that they had pierced his heart. You ever hear somebody survive a piercing to the heart? 
You watch a movie, a guy gets shot in any part of the body, you know he's getting up later and he's gonna come you know, get the, get the good guys later on. But if you see a shot in the left side of the chest, you know you're about to have a death scene you know, because you don't come back from that. And so Jesus, it says that they pierced him through his, and because water and blood came out, it revealed that Jesus had already died. And so, no, Jesus did not simply swoon. There's no evidence in the history of mankind of somebody surviving a Roman crucifixion. Not one. These are professional executioners. But the swoon theory basically says this. Jesus survived the flogging, survived the crucifixion, survived the spear in the heart, went, was taken down from there, survived all the bleeding, was buried in a tomb, wrapped up for three days without food and water, and in that weakened condition, rolled the stone away and escaped the prison guards. Do you hear how absurd it is? It takes far more faith to believe in that. That stone by itself took several men to put in place. It would be several hundred pounds. Most of us wouldn't be able to move that ourselves, even in the strong condition that you are this morning. But people would have you believe this. Why? Because people don't care so much about the facts. If I believe that Jesus exists, I'm in trouble. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus in the garden there? He's talking to him at night. He says, men don't come to the light lest their evil deeds be reproved. For many people, that's the reason they don't want to believe in Jesus. They're looking and grasping at any possible excuse as to why Jesus isn't real so that I can live my life how I want. Well, friends, that doesn't change the facts that Jesus is God and that he did rise from the dead and that we're accountable to him. Number three, we're going to see the lives of the soldiers attest to the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Now, why do you think the guards are going to the chief priests? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, if you would have gone back to your supervisors, they'd kill you. It's a good reason to go somewhere else. But remember, these men just saw an angel, and they know that they're supervisor above them in the Roman military. They're not going to know what to do with an angel story. So they go to the chief priests. And they let them know that Jesus is risen, that this angel rolled away the stone. And these guys in verse 12 responded, when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. They had to pay people off to tell them how Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that he was just, his body was stolen. Then they say in verse 14, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You can still hear people telling the story that Jesus' body was stolen by his people. A story spread from a lie from the chief priests to the soldiers, and then on to today. The truth is, though, the very fact that these soldiers existed to tell the lie ought to tell you something's fishy. You see, a Roman soldier, when he was put in charge of something to protect it or to, you know, over a prison, if you failed in your duty, what happened to the Roman soldier? He was killed, wasn't he? That's why if you read about the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts, when the great earthquake shook and the doors came open and Paul and Silas were about to get out, Philippian jailer was looking to take his own life. Better for me to die quickly at my own hand than to suffer this fate of being publicly executed. He didn't go through with it, by the way, but, but that's why he was about to do that. It's because that's what happened when you failed in guard duty. So the fact that these soldiers are still alive to tell the story about their failure to guard the body of Jesus ought to have people going, now that doesn't, 
That's not how the story ends. You shouldn't be alive today to tell the story. But the truth is, if you want to believe something enough, the facts won't deter you. If you want to believe that somebody stole the body of Jesus, you're going to believe that. But what we're inviting you to do this morning is to come and see. Investigate the truth for yourself. Number four, the life of Jesus himself attests to the resurrection. Verse nine says, and behold, Jesus met them. This is after the resurrection, met them and said, greetings. And they came and they took a hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers who, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. That's important. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, sometimes we get the impression that Jesus kind of poof, he disappeared, and we just have to take it by faith that he rose from the dead and went to heaven. Jesus stayed on earth for another 40 days showing himself to people, and not just a couple of people, not just some back alley meeting either. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 says, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then he says, most of whom are still alive. So Jesus appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people at once, which is pretty amazing, considering back then in the court of law, whether it's Jewish or Roman, upon two or three witnesses, a fact is confirmed. What if you have 500 plus witnesses? This is the most well-documented eyewitness fact of the history of mankind. And he says, most of whom are still alive today. Why does he say that? He's saying, oh, no, no, not today, today. Those would be some pretty old guys. But at the time of writing of Matthew, he's inviting the readers, investigate, come and see. See that we're not lying to you. Come talk to any one of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses that Jesus is alive. Check it out for yourself. It's an invitation to come and see. Don't just believe what your flesh wants you to believe, that you can live your life however you want and there really isn't a God, because there is. And he wants us to come and see that Jesus is not just some religious leader. He's not just some Messiah-type figure. That he is God that has come in the flesh who died in our place. But he's alive again. You know, this is such a well-documented fact of history. Even you can find the accounts of Jesus, his life, his miracles, his death, and his resurrection. You know, you can even find it in historical sources. Roman historian Tacitus spoke to the witnesses of the resurrection. Roman philosopher Seneca the Younger, who, by the way, wrote in the same century that Jesus died. He recorded these strange events that surrounded Jesus' death and his resurrection. He refers to Christ and their witnesses of the resurrection. Jewish historian Josephus lived the same century that Jesus died. Now, I say Jewish, understand this, he was a secular Jewish historian. The Jews, by and large, didn't believe in Jesus. Most of them didn't believe in Jesus. Most of the Jews hated Jesus. Remember, they're the people shouting, crucify him. So the fact that we have a secular Jewish historian writing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is pretty impressive. Because if anybody had a reason to write a bitter diatribe against Jesus Christ, it'd be Josephus, and yet he doesn't. He simply writes what happened because he had journalistic integrity, much like our news outlets do today. Yeah, that was a joke. But I want you to hear what Josephus wrote. He wrote in his book, Antiquities, book 18, chapter 3, he, talking about Jesus, he was the Christ. 
And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at the first did not forsake him. Look at these words. He appeared to them alive again on the third day as the divine prophets had foretold. A secular, unsaved historian who should hate Jesus wrote these words. Now, I'm not telling you to believe because a secular historian wrote these words, friends. It's enough that the Bible says it. But I want you to know that the Bible doesn't do these things in a closet. It doesn't hide these things and tell you. Just take it entirely by faith. We believe in a very reasonable faith. Very reasonable faith that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. Why did Jesus die and rise again? 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's you and I, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus died as infinite God because he needed to bring us to God. Why does he need to bring us to God? Aren't we already kind of connected to God? No, the Bible says that our sins have separated us from God. Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, don't eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree in the garden. What'd they do? They did it anyway. What happened? They were kicked out of the garden, removed from God's presence. Satan, used to be the highest angel in glory, commits one sin. What happens? He's kicked out of the presence of God. You and I, how many sins do you really think it's going to take for us to be removed from the presence of God forever? A single sin. One drop of poison ruins the whole cup of water. We can't have even but one sin in our life, and we must be separated from God. And so Peter tells us the reason Jesus came is to bring us back to God. Because right now, we're born separated from him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory, that there's nobody as good as God. We fall short. Bible tells us that God doesn't just say, boys will be boys, we've all sinned, what's he gonna do, send us all to hell? Bible says the wages of sin, what we've earned for that sin is death, a separation from God forever. Why is it forever? Now, if you, if you don't like my message, you come up here and punch me in the face, there's not gonna be a lot that happens. I won't be very pleased, and people will be talking about this Easter service for a long time. <laughs> but there's not a whole lot, I'm not gonna retaliate. Now, if you go and you punch a police officer, what's gonna happen? You're going to get arrested. You're going to jail. What happens if you charge Joe Biden and punch him right in the face? I'm not encouraging that, by the way. But what happens if you do that? You're getting shot because you're offending an increasingly higher office. Now, what if the office that we offend is an infinitely high office? What if the office that we have sinned against is an infinite God? The payment for such would be infinite. And we have two options at this point. We can either allow the death and resurrection of an infinite God to pay for infinite sins of infinite mankind, or we can pay for our sins ourselves. But trust me, you don't want to do that because that would require an infinite amount of time to pay for that sin. This is why God, not wanting us to be separated from him, sent Jesus to die in our place, to suffer that horrible death that he died so that he might bring us back to himself. There's nobody here who has to be separated from God but he offers to each one of us eternal life. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess just means to agree with God. I'm not going to go against God, what he says. I'm gonna agree with God and say, yes, I am a sinner. I'm gonna agree with God that yes, if you're truly gonna be good and just, you're gonna punish all evil, including mine. 
I'm going to agree with God that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again on the third day. I confess that to be true. But he also says here we need to confess that Jesus is our Lord. Not simply that we believe that these events took place, but that we entrust ourselves to him. That he is my God, that he's my Lord, that he has every right, he's the rightful ruler over my heart and life, and I belong to him. Is that something that you've done? When you close your eyes in death, are you trusting in what you've done, or are you trusting in what God has done for you? That is the invitation this morning, is to come and see. Come and see that these things are true. The lives of the apostles attest that it's true. The empty tomb attests to the fact that it's true. The lives of the soldiers attest that it's true. And the lives of Jesus, the, the risen life of Jesus Christ attests to the fact that he is most certainly risen and you can trust in him. Don't let Easter, don't be distracted by a, an egg-laying bunny. But instead, listen to the angel invitation to come and see. Investigate that tomb for yourself and believe. Let's close. Father, we thank you this morning as we have read, read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each one of us, Father, I pray that you'll help us to look at our hearts and say, have I confessed Christ as Lord? Have I confessed that I believe that I have sinned, that God, to be a just God, must punish sin? Do, have I confessed that I believe in the account that Jesus came and lived the perfect life I could not? Who then, therefore, when he died, he could die in my place and not for his own sins? Do I believe and confess this morning that Jesus rose again such that I can place my faith in him as Lord? That I have given, that I have recognized his lordship over my heart and life, that he is the Lord over my life and I have given myself to him, fully entrusted myself to him? Father, I pray that's true of everyone who is here today, but if they're not, God, I pray that this Easter, rather than making it about dressing up in bunnies, that we would make it about the risen Lord, that they would receive eternal life today and walk away with a confidence that God has forgiven me. That's all this in Christ's name. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.